Please remain standing and pray with me. Holy Spirit of God, come now and take the word we have heard read from the gospel and make it come alive in our hearts, Lord, so that we might live out the truth of your resurrection starting now and for the rest of your life, our life, Lord. We pray that you would come now in power and might, stir us up to love you with a greater and more fervent love because we have seen the risen Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. When I was growing up, all the ministers and the churches that my friends and I attended had been trained in uh, mainline Protestant seminaries in the 1950s and the 1960s. And they were taught in those seminaries that the resurrection meant that the disciples' experience of Jesus, uh, that, that they, they thought of the resurrection as, as the disciples' experience of Jesus as being somehow continued beyond his death, but not really physically. The disciples felt like Jesus was still with them. And they looked back on the life of their teacher and they found their higher symbolic spiritual truths that were so powerful that it was just like Jesus was right there with them. And so, uh, as the disciples died out, their followers just made up these stories of the resurrection to communicate deep symbolic truths like, never give up hope, and we can all be forgiven. Well, that's just wonderful. Basically, if you follow this logic, the disciples were all willing to be tortured and executed because they were proclaiming what amounted to having positive, sentimental feelings about Jesus. They were basically all willing to give their lives for what amounts to basically being no more than a Hallmark card. And somehow, these ministers that I grew up listening to bought into this line of scubalon. It's Greek. Go look it up. (laughs) Baloney. There you go. Now, this had a direct impact on me and my family because year after year, as you have heard me say before, all that they could muster up from the pulpit, or as I say, pulpit, (laughs) was how Easter was like spring with the promise of new life after winter, and we can all have a new beginning. Well, that's sweet, but when it comes down to real life, that dog just don't hunt. I don't need to go to church to tell me that spring is great. That message has no power to address the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that are flung flung at us in the real world. Racial violence and hate crimes... Genocide in the Middle East, nuclear annihilation, global climate change, economic collapse, cancer, addiction, mental illness. Hey, it's spring, y'all. Don't you feel better? (laughs) Just look around you, people. Just look at the world. Now, since I was a child, it has always been as if we were all on the brink of some kind of Armageddon. Now, you young folks here probably were not shown the civil defense fallout shelters where you in grade school. That was one of our outings, uh, I think, when I was in the second grade. It was encouraging. (laughs) 
I know, and it had those little tri- You know what I'm talking about. Y'all have no idea what impression that makes on a child. Here, when they drop the nuclear bombs, is where you're going to hang out with your family for the next three years. Yes, it is. My whole life has been, it seems like, tottering on the brink of ecological collapse or economic collapse or total nuclear war. And you know what, folks? I just have brink fatigue. Now, this is very important. A lot of this sense of doom is driven by the news. You might not think that you're affected by the news, but it still trickles down to you through social media and Stephen Colbert and what your friends are talking about, and it's still the news. It still amounts to an authoritative proclamation about what the world is really like. Through all these sources, we are given a steady drip, drip, drip of a picture of reality that poisons our hearts and minds so that we all believe that the world is on an an unalterable path to destruction, that it is all going to end in tears, and the only solution is political activism or a constitutional convention or the UN, or if we and all of our unwoke friends could finally get with the program and all keep modern-day kosher and not eat GMOs or processed foods, if we could all just accept whole foods into our hearts, then Messiah would come. But brothers and sisters, I am here tonight to tell you on this great vigil of Pascha, of Easter, that this rendering of reality that we are given every minute of every day just ain't so. So let me tell you the real news, the good news. The world was on the brink in 33 AD in Judea. Civil unrest was roiling just below the surface, and the Roman government responded by keeping the boot of a brutal military occupation on the neck of the people. It was Passover, and tens of thousands of people had streamed to Jerusalem for a celebration that combined a volatile cocktail of religious zeal and nationalistic fervor. The city was a powder keg, but hey, it's Jerusalem. The city is always a powder keg. It's only been that way for the last 3,000 years. And in order to keep the unruly mob placated, a corrupt military governor who was viciously cruel in only the way that weak rulers can be, was willing to crucify a man that he absolutely knew was innocent. All because the sectarian religious leaders were stirring up the mob and a riot could erupt any minute. And so they stripped and beat and tortured Jesus. And for Jesus and his disciples and his mother and the women who had provided for him throughout his ministry, this was the end of the world. The dam built with blocks of a sense of impending doom finally burst and the very worst thing that could happen, happened. Jesus is executed, hung on a cross, And the disciples run for their lives as hunted men. But that is not how the story ends. Terror and doom and dread and grief and death are not where the story ends. And it doesn't end there just because the disciples suddenly had a hallmark moment. And felt like, you know, this isn't so bad. 
Remembering all the sweet and kind things that Jesus said to us, you know, like, you brood of vipers. Well, I feel like he's right here with us now. How about you, Peter? Oh, yeah, I definitely feel forgiven for the way I publicly denied him on three separate occasions at the top of my voice just last Thursday evening. No, the reason that the story doesn't end that way is because a really dead body, and I mean dead dead, not Princess Bride mostly dead, A dead body became a living body and walked out of a cold, dark tomb into the dawn of a new day. And he is so alive that the blast radius of his resurrection will continue to ripple out through the universe until the entire cosmos is renewed and there is a new heaven and a new earth. That living, breathing body is God's light of a new creation breaking in through the cracks of this present darkness. Jesus is literally, physically alive in this passage in Matthew chapter 28. Folks, it is not because people are having happy feelings that the angel and Jesus have to keep telling these faithful women disciples, do not be afraid. You don't have to do that with a Hallmark moment. Nobody is afraid of Hallmark. No, you have to tell people who encounter a previously dead guy walking around somewhere on the outskirts of Jerusalem not to be afraid. And so what do we do with this? Well, maybe we all are actually living on the brink of disaster globally and personally. But I want you to hear me. Our Savior has been to the brink and beyond and has come back with the proclamation of God's victory. Your brink, he says, your brink, whatever you fear most, is absolutely nothing to me. All that you fear has the same amount of power to stop my purposes of restoration and redemption of all things It has exactly the same amount of power as a sheet of wet tissue paper has to stop the eruption of a volcano. So while ISIS killed 44 of our brothers and sisters attending Palm Sunday services in Egypt last week, the forces of evil have no power to separate those believers or their families from God's victory over death and hell. Instead, when we gather around this altar table tonight, brothers and sisters, we will be gathering with angels and archangels and with those 44 martyred brothers and sisters as they gather around the throne of the Lamb who was slain to celebrate their very first Easter in glory. Here is the reality. You and everyone you love is going to die. We are all on the brink. But beloved, our Savior has already been there and already defeated death and has come back for us. He has blazed a trail through the darkness. He has gone before us through hell itself as a great warrior and he has defeated the monster of death and he has crushed the head of the serpent. He will come back, and he has come back. 
through the dark valley of the shadow of death for us. And he reaches out his hand and he says, take my hand and follow me. Do not be afraid. I have conquered. And because I live, you will live also. And the next time this world sees him, and the next time the powers and principalities that seek to destroy God's creation see those Coptic Christian martyrs or that baptized child who died of cancer or that saintly grandmother taken by Alzheimer's or that ho- homeless man who loved Jesus and died on the streets, it's not going to be a hallmark moment. No heaven will be opened and behold, a white horse The one sitting on him is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many crowns. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death and on those in the tombs bestowing life. Stand up, church. You know how this works. When I point to you, you repeat what I just said. The table is full. Let everyone fare sumptuously. The calf is fatted. Let no one go away hungry. Everyone savor the banquet of faith. Relish the riches of his goodness. No one need lament their poverty, for the kingdom belongs to us all. No one need grieve over sins. Forgiveness has dawned from the tomb. No one need fear. No one need fear death. The Savior's death has freed us from it. Death played the master, but he mastered death. He plundered Hades as he descended into it. It was angered when it tasted his flesh. Foreseeing this, Isaiah proclaimed, Hades, he said, was angered when he met you below. It was angered. It was angered. Because it was abolished. It was angered. It was angered. Because it was mocked. It was angered. It was angered. Because it was slain. It was angered. It was Because it was shackled, death swallowed a body and met God face to face. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took what is seen and fell upon the unseen. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Christ Christ is risen. And you are overthrown. Christ is risen. And demons have fallen. Christ is risen. And angels rejoice. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And life rules. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And not one dead remains in the tomb. For Christ, having risen from the dead, has become the firstfruits of those that slept. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know what happens next.